I, uh, I became painfully aware this morning of a great difference in perspective. Uh, this morning I got dressed and I was ready to leave for church and uh, right now we're very blessed to have our daughter and son-in-law and grandson staying with us. Our grandson's three months old and our daughter walked in to see my little grandson before I left. I have to do that every day. And I walked in to see him and I uh, was playing with him and cutting up and Cameron said he's sick today. And so oh, it just breaks my heart to know he's sick. And and sure enough, all the signs were there. And she said, would you mind holding him for a few minutes? I got a couple of things I need to get done. And Sick babies do what sick babies do. And before long, I was wearing most of what he had eaten. And uh, I think that's the most pleasant way to say that. And I thought to myself, now as a parent, you know, I'm okay. She's sick. Our daughter, she's sick. She's going to throw up. Those things happen. I'm okay with that. But as a grandparent, it was perfectly fine that that happened. <laughs> there was absolutely no problem with him throwing up on me whatsoever. I didn't care. I held him till we got everything cleaned up and then gave him back, went and changed clothes and came to work this morning. We're going to see that there is a definite difference in perspective when we talk about the matter of forgiveness. If you haven't already, I wish you'd take your study guide out of your bulletin and grab a clipboard and a pen from the book racks in front of you. And uh, let's jump into a discussion. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 specifically. But we'll also go back and address a few verses before this just to kind of set context when we get to it. We're going to work our way through this matter of forgiveness based upon what Jesus tells us in this passage. But I want you to know that this goes beyond simple forgiveness to what any of us who are rationally thinking humans would consider to be ridiculous forgiveness. I mean, this goes to a whole new scale. This isn't just, okay, I'll be what I need. I'll forgive you. I'm a Christian. But, but Jesus takes this to a whole new place. We're going to see this as we move through our discussion this morning. Uh, Jesus takes this to a place of just total ridiculous. And stone me for being a heretic. Let me tell you that I'm aware that that's heretical in a lot of ways. And, and what I'm talking to you here is strictly from a human perspective. Now we're going to see the God's perspective as we move through our discussion this morning. But I want to show you the human perspective first of all as we move into our thoughts. And in fact, let me just go ahead and give you the first point. Let's don't waste any time. Number one, what we're going to see that we can find, pull out of these verses, we can find in these verses, is that the typical is never enough. Number one, you first fill in, the typical is never enough. Never enough. Now we're talking about in relationship to what God expects out of us based upon what we consider to be, to be enough. What God wants from us is to move to something extraordinary something supernatural and what we're content to do is live in that which is very natural very normal very typical 
Now, leading into the verses, we're going to read verse 21 in just a second. But leading into this, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he's talking to his disciples amongst those people. And as he's talking to them, he, he lays out what they are to do for their neighbor. And he says, you are to forgive your neighbor. And he says, the problem is that your neighbor may offend you, but not come to you directly to ask forgiveness. So then your responsibility is to not allow this to fester and grow, but to go to your neighbor and tell them what they've done. So this, this loving way of approaching someone and saying, you know what, you've offended me, you said this about me, I heard this, whatever the case may be, or you've done this to offend me. We are to go approach that person and say, you know what, I'm offended by it, and give them an opportunity to say, oh, wow, I'm sorry, uh, would you forgive me? Okay, so we step into this, this place here where we've been offended, we approach, and we ask or seek the, for the person to reconcile with us through asking for forgiveness. Okay, Jesus said then, okay, if that doesn't work, then what I want you to do, because this is so important, don't just sit on this and hope that it goes away. I want you then to take two or three back with you as witnesses to what's taken place. And I want you to go back to that person once again, confront them with what they've done, and give them another opportunity to seek your forgiveness. Now allow me to say this, because while it's not specifically written into Scripture, into this particular passage, I think it's very scriptural, that we take people back with us that aren't just going based upon what we've drilled into their minds to believe about the situation. I think the worst thing we could do is ask somebody to go with us to see someone and we've already drilled into them what's wrong with this situation. What we would be better off doing is allowing them to go as objective bystanders, as witnesses to the situation. Because once they hear what we tell the other person, they may say, you know what, I think you're overreacting to that a little bit. Now that's probably not what we want to hear in that moment, but it is probably what's best for us in the situation. And so we take objective witnesses with us and we go to them and we say, you know, you've offended me. We give them an opportunity. If they ask forgiveness, we forgive them. All's well and good. But Jesus said, if they don't ask for your forgiveness, then there's another escalation of this. And, and man, it just gets bigger and bigger. So now based upon what Jesus is telling the people, then Peter comes in and wanting to maybe appear a little bit pious, but also to set the record straight. Because in my way of reading this passage, I think that Peter believes that there's an oversight on the part of Jesus Christ in this teaching. And that oversight is that somehow Jesus forgot to say, but there's a point in which enough's enough. Okay, you go to this person and you, you present to them the problem and they offend you. You've told them that. Now they've asked for your forgiveness. You forgive them and you go away and find out that they've done it again. You go back to them. Okay, now this can be a big old problem in Peter's mind. And so verse 21, Peter says this. Peter came to him, came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Okay, now here's the logic of Peter. He's heard Jesus say that you forgive seven times and, and he takes that very literally. 
And so he comes to Jesus with a somewhat pious attitude. Now, I'm reading into this a little bit. Please don't think that, that I know exactly what Peter was thinking, but I'm trying to read into it a little bit. It appears that Peter went with a little bit of a pious attitude to Jesus because he said, shall we forgive this person seven times, seven times in a day? If they offend me seven times, I go to them, I tell them about it, they ask forgiveness, I forgive them, I leave, they do the same thing. we got this whole process going on. At some point, Jesus, you, you've kind of forgotten that there needs to be a line drawn to where we say, okay, it's obvious to me that you don't really care. You don't really want my forgiveness because you're going to turn around and do this again. And therefore, we've got to draw the line somewhere. Would it be seven times? Now, the reason I say that there's a little bit of piousness in the part of Peter, because he's going above what he figures most people are willing to do. Now, you think about it. Isn't that the case for us? Someone comes in and offends me. I go to them and they, oh man, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it. Would you forgive me? No sooner did I leave than they've done it again. I go to them, oh, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And this process, most people would say, and I believe the Pharisees that were in the group, and the religious leaders were probably at the top of the list, saying, you know what, I might go two or three times, but you can bet your life I'm not going back seven times. And why is that? Because we have so much pride. I see you mouthing it. It's obvious, isn't there? So much pride because I'm so afraid that somebody's going to get one up on me. Or I'm so afraid that people are going to watch and think that, well, you can just walk all over him. He's going to forgive you. It doesn't matter. Isn't that the case? Now, let's just be real. It's just us. Let's just be real. And so, because of my pride, I'm not going to go more than two or three times. So when Peter comes and says seven times, man, I'm sure everybody looked at him and thought, wow, aren't you religious? <laughs> Peter knew the heart, people who were there, because he was one of them. He knew that the Pharisees probably wouldn't give someone the time of day. You go and offend a Pharisee because they thought they were so much better than everyone else. I mean, here you have the religious leaders of the day feeling that they're superior to everyone else. And so you offend them. Most likely, they're gonna, you know, you're so far beneath me. I'm not going to waste my time with you. I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to kick you out of the synagogue. That was a big deal to the people in that day and time. And so I'm just going to boot you. I'm done with you. Forget that. I'm not going back seven times. I'm not even going back two or three times. And so Peter brings this in, and he thinks that, okay, I've gone beyond what is typical, and I'm giving something that is extraordinary. This is beyond what most people are willing to do. And he thinks he's presenting it, and God is saying, yet, Peter, what I believe about this situation is that your typical and your above typical is still never enough. It's not enough. And honestly, from a human perspective, we shake our heads and we think, you've got to be kidding me. You want more than that? I mean, the Pharisees would have looked at what Peter said and said, that's ridiculous. But Jesus is about to blow their minds. He's about to blow them out of the water with what he's about to say in verse 22. In fact, that's our second point. Let me just get right to it. Number two, Jesus takes forgiveness to a whole new level. Jesus takes forgiveness to a whole new level. Your next fill-in. Verse 22, when you get finished writing, take a glance at your, 
at your verses there, verse 22, Jesus said to them, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's quite a day's work. 490 times you would go back to this person. You've offended me. I just left your house, and you've done the same thing again. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Okay. I leave the house. I'm offended. I come back. You just did it again. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Forgive you. 490 times. What Peter didn't even understand, maybe, is that Jesus wasn't saying, okay, there's the line, 490. But he's saying, you're not going to accomplish all that in a day's time. In other words, there is no place where you stop forgiving. No place. The mercies are new every morning. You're going to start this process over. There is no place. So what Jesus is talking about here is ridiculous. It's limitless forgiveness. Ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. So Jesus takes this forgiveness issue to a whole new place that no one would have expected, that no one would have wanted to have placed upon them, and would have left most of them wondering, why in the world would you say that? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us vacant. He doesn't leave us sitting here thinking, why would he do that? But actually informs us. Point number three shows us that the story that Jesus is getting ready to reveal to us actually reveals the heart and intention of God. The story that Jesus is getting ready to show reveals the heart and the intention of God. What is the heart of God? We're going to see it right here. Why would God say limitless forgiveness is necessary? What would be his intention in doing something like that? We're getting ready to see it when we read these verses. And by the way, let me encourage you, please don't put your notes away when we finish reading this. Because once we do, I'm going to give you five things that I wish you would write down. Five things that we see very clearly in this story that I want you to write down and then I'm also to give you some points at the end that you may or may not want to write down so just keep them out till we're completely done I promise you you'll have time to get them away okay so what is this story that reveals the heart and intention of God notice if you will verses 23 through 35 Jesus says therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in today's money, that would be millions of dollars. Okay, now please get this in your mind. Millions of dollars. This is one of his servants. Him having access to pay back millions of dollars was impossible. Wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Okay, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. 
Okay, I'm not going to get this back. It's quite obvious you're not able to pay. So what I'm going to do, because you got into this debt on your own, I'm going to sell you as a slave. I'm going to sell your family as a slave. I'm going to sell everything you own, and I'm just going to get back what I can out of that situation. Okay, this is where this man is. Notice verse 26. Then the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Can you hear the heartbreak in his voice? Can you hear what he's saying? You're about to sell me. I understand that. But you're going to sell my wife and my children too? And we're going to be separated. You're going to put us in slavery. My kids are going to be in slavery. Can you imagine the heartbreak in his voice? He was totally convinced that what the master was doing was just. But he also knew the pain that came along with that. And so he falls down before the master and he begs him, please, please don't do this. Just have patience with me. Verse 27 Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. You can't pay this debt back. I'm wiping it clean. Wow. Wiping it clean. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed, one, uh, owed him a hundred denarii, which is uh, several thousand dollars in today's money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Does that sound familiar? The very words that the previous one said to his master, now being repeated back to him. We would expect then the same type of response that his master gave to him, but instead what we find is him saying in verse 30, he would not, he would not have patience, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then, there, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. In verse 35, this very direct, in-your-face statement, Jesus says, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. So Jesus is setting the table here. He wants us to see ourselves as the first servant that comes before the master. Five things we see very clearly from this passage. Please write these down. You can put them A, B, C, D, E, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I don't care how you do it. Just get them down, okay? So number one, letter A, whatever you prefer. We see in this passage that our sins are great. Jesus was very clearly identifying the problem. That we, because of our rebellion and sinfulness before God are people who owe him 
greatly. In fact, the debt that we owe him is so great that there is no way we can ever repay it. It's not possible. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've fallen short of the mark that's required for us to go to heaven on our own. Why? Because the debt is so full, the debt is so heavy that we can never, ever pay that debt back. Never. The second thing, letter B, that we see coming out of this is that God freely forgives. God freely forgives. What an incredible thought to find that God, seeing the debt we owe, would wipe it clean for us. On behalf of the servant that was standing before him, millions of dollars of debt, he could never repay it. What does God do? It's gone. God wants us to see ourselves in the place of that servant. We owe such a debt that we can never satisfy the debt. Not in this lifetime, not through eternity. The debt can never fully be repaid. And what does God do when we fall down before him and we ask for his forgiveness? He says, debt gone. Debt gone. It's incredible. The third thing, let her see. We see that the offenses committed against us by others are comparatively small. We see that in comparison to what God has forgiven us, the things that others have done in offense to us are so minuscule. They are so small. We see that the offenses committed against us by others are comparatively small in nature. What we want to do is compare them against the hurt that it has caused us. We want to compare them against how we should be treated or how we feel we should be treated. And we miss out on the reality of what's taking place. When God says, what I would rather you do and what I'd require you to do is not compare them to how you want to be treated, but I want you to compare them to what I've forgiven you for. And all of a sudden we see this huge gap. The same gap that existed between millions of dollars and thousands of dollars. Number four, letter D. We see in this passage that we should therefore most freely forgive others. That we should most freely forgive others. Just as God has forgiven us, we have a responsibility to forgive others. And that forgiveness is never-ending. It's limitless. He tells us in verse 35, he says, that you are to forgive from the heart from the heart, which means that, that we are to forgive, but then treat them as if we have forgiven them. Let me take a side journey with you here, because I'm opinionated about this, and I'm telling you that this is my opinion. I think it is backed up by Scripture, but I want you to know that I'm talking out of opinion now. When we forgive someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that we forget everything that's happened. I know forgive and forget, forgive and forget. You hear that a lot, and I think there's a really big place for that. But I think there's also a place for remembering. 
I think that if someone has done something to offend my child, my son-in-law, or my, my grandchild, and all of a sudden there's a line that's been crossed that's hard for me to go back on, they may come and say, Tom, I, I am sorry. You know, I did this, and, and I want you to forgive me. And I may forgive them, but what it doesn't mean is that I may take my child or my, my grandchild now and place my grandchild in their care. If the abuse or the, the, the offense was that they slapped my grandchild, there's no way in the world I'm going to subject my child to that, my grandchild to that. It's not going to happen. I will forgive you. I will treat you as if I've forgiven you. But I also am going to remember and put a little knot there. You know what? This is a place that even though I've forgiven them, I'm not going back into that. You get in business with someone and they rob you from, from, uh, you know, from their standpoint. They take what you have. Okay, you may forgive them and you have to according to God. But that doesn't mean that you're going to go back into business with them the next day, right? Okay, if you disagree with that, I totally get it. I'd love to hear your opinion, just not right now, okay? You can come and tell me, tell me later. I wouldn't mind that. Okay, so God tells us then that we are to forgive just as we've been forgiven, and a forgiveness that is without end. We are to forgive freely. Letter E, number five, however you're lettering or numbering. We see in this passage that if we do not, it is a clear indication that we have never received the forgiveness of God over our own sin. If we do not forgive freely, it is a clear indication that we have never received God's forgiveness in our lives. Okay, now there's two ways to look at this, and I'm going to approach it from both sides. But for the person who who says, you know, I'm a child of God, and yet they've harbored for unforgiveness in their life for years and years and years, there's a very clear indication that there's a problem here. Because God is saying, if you're my child, you're going to live as a forgiving person. This is just going to be what's normal in your life. You're going to forgive, and 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 we could keep going here, couldn't we? And it's so hard, so hard. There's one person in my life. This person has never asked me to forgive them. Not a person here in the church. Uh, you can rest easy. Uh, he's never asked me to forgive him, and therefore there's a little bit of a gray area, what needs to be done. We can discuss that another time if you want to. But I was so convicted, so convicted in this passage. Because I have... I've become the judge and the jury, and I've written that person off. And I tell you what, just to think about it, it's hard for me to think about forgiving him. Really hard. But man, God has worked me over. Because God's saying, look at what he's really done. Now compare that to what you've done to me. And in my mind, God was saying, not 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you were that little idiot running around. But now that you're a pastor, my child, 
And yet you're still doing these things to shame and embarrass me. Wow. Talking about a slap in the face. For the person who can live with that unforgiveness, there's a very good indication that you've never been forgiven by God yourself. You may claim to be a child of God, but the reality is you've probably never experienced His forgiveness. For the child of God, like me, who still has a little bit of unforgiveness in him, maybe you could call that a lot of unforgiveness, you'd probably be right. Then what I believe this passage was for me, and I believe is for you if you fit into that category, is God's great warning to us. God's great warning over us saying, you better take care of this problem. Because we know what happens when we stray from God's will for our lives, don't we? Discipline. Why does God discipline us? Just like a parent disciplines a child so that what's best for the child will take place from then on, God disciplines His children the same. If my daughter was running out into a busy street, I'd tell her once, Cameron, don't go out there. Now, of course, she's 27. If she wants to go out there now, she probably can. But I'm talking about when she was a child. If she ran out the busy street, Cameron, don't go out there. It's very dangerous. She went out again. Cameron, don't go out there. You're going to get hurt. Don't do it again. If she went out there again, what's going to happen? I'm going to punish her. I'm going to make her not want to go to that road again. And why? Because I like punishing her. Every now and then, maybe, but most of the time, most of the time that wasn't the case. Most of the time it was because this is absolutely what's best for my daughter. And God looks at us with our unforgiveness and He says, You better take care of this. And we say, Well, why, God? What does it matter? Because unforgiveness will eat you alive. It will control your thoughts. It will destroy your future. And it will put you in direct disobedience to Almighty God. And God is not willing for us to live there. And as a result, God will bring discipline into our lives. That's why I believe so clearly that God is laying this out for us today to say, this is your warning. This is your warning. Some of you may already be in discipline. And you know it. You probably do. Some of you may be right on the verge of it. I believe that I was one that was right on the verge of it. And so God is calling us to a ridiculous forgiveness. Ridiculous. Limitless. So what are we going to do with this information? For those of us who are children of God and we have unforgiveness in our lives, then I think the answer is obvious. God, I am sorry. I'm sorry. If that person has asked for forgiveness, we give it to them.
If they haven't asked forgiveness, we approach them and say, you know what, this is something that's happened and you may or may not even remember it. It's been a long time or it was just yesterday, whatever the case may be. And uh, man, I, I just need to talk to you about it because it really hurt me. We deal with the unforgiveness in our lives. For those who are not part of God's family, you might have thought you were, but you've been able to harbor unforgiveness and God's never disciplined you for it. And there's a really good indication that what you need today is to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you say, well, I've been in this church my whole life. I've been here for years, and, and I just couldn't do that. Let me tell you something. Your embarrassment for a few minutes to walk down this aisle is nothing compared to an eternity in hell. And I believe that this serves for a warning for you as well. You better deal with this situation. Better deal with it. So today, what we do with it is simply to respond to what God is calling us to. Respond to His message. Maybe for you, it's just a matter of you're a child of God. You want to deal with it where you are. Maybe you want to come and ask me to get someone to pray with you. You don't have to go in the whole store if you don't want to, but they'll go out with you and find a place, and you can just pray and talk. There'll be a prayer warrior for you from then on. If you don't know Christ is Lord and Savior, I so strongly encourage you this morning to forget what other people may or may not be thinking. And by the way, they're probably not thinking what you think they are. They're probably so excited to see you move and make your way to the front regardless of what the situation is in your life. But I so strongly encourage you just to come and meet me my goal is not to embarrass you, not to point you out, not to call your name, but to simply have one of our encouragers show you from God's Word how you can know Christ as your Savior, and you can know Him today as Lord and Savior. So my encouragement for you is come and meet Jesus. For others, maybe God's leading you to be part of our church family. Today you want to come and start to process Others, you've never been obedient to the matter of baptism since your salvation. And today, you want to start that process. And let me invite you to respond. Do what God is calling you to do. Today and right now in today is a time of action. We've got to move on what God is telling us to do.